0: Bibles with you this morning, please open them up to the book of Proverbs. I'll be reading from Proverbs chapter 6, starting at verse 12, going through verse 19, and we'll be reading from the King James Version. A naughty person, a wicked man, walketh with a forward mouth. He winketh with his eyes, he speaketh with his feet, he teacheth with his fingers. Forwardness is Is in his heart. He deviseth mischief continually. He soweth discord. Therefore shall his calamity come suddenly. Suddenly shall he be broken without remedy. These six things doth doth the Lord hate. Yea, seven are an abomination unto him a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among brethren.
1: Well, I'm glad to be here with you this morning. We're glad you're here, especially if you're visiting, certainly appreciative of your presence and want you to come back and be with us every opportunity. I've been reading and listening to the news a lot and uh, of course what we've been hearing the last few days is uh, about the death of former President George H.W. Bush. And uh, what I've noticed as I've been listening, and politics aside, they've uh, been talking about different people who would uh, remind or reminisce about a an encounter that they had and I was impressed with... Uh, his legacy as far as those people who were being interviewed, and I'm sure they didn't interview everyone, and I haven't heard every comment, but he left with a lot of people this idea that he was a very kind man, that he was a good man. And uh, again, I didn't know former President Bush, and I I didn't agree with all of uh, his ideas on things, but there are a lot of people who talked about his kindness, and as I was thinking about that, I began to, to understand and think more about the importance of being able to recognize something that's bad and something that's good. We want people to be able to recognize in us the good things that God has asked us to be and, and to do, and we want to overcome the bad things that we have a tendency to want to do. And But how do we do that? How are we going to go about doing the good and avoiding the bad. I think first we have to be able to recognize the differences between good and bad. I've entitled the sermon this morning, Recognizing the Difference Between Good and Bad, because before we can be good or righteous, we have to recognize that which is bad or that which is not righteous. You know, there, I believe, is a tendency in all of the world and around most people, that we want to avoid the negative. I understand that. I don't like negative things. I don't know anyone who likes negative things. We don't like bad news, do we? We want good news. We want to hear about good news. We don't want to hear about bad news or, or terrible things that are happening, but sometimes we have to notice the bad things. We have to learn what they are, right? I don't think that, for example, if we were to go to a doctor and we were beginning to discuss our health, if he said, you know, there's something inside your body and we need to go in and remove that thing. But that is so negative to talk about. Let's just ignore that. And let's see if that cancer that is inside your body just decides to not be cancer anymore because I don't like talking about negative things. Well, what would we do? I don't know that we would be there long enough to hear that final statement, right? We'd be out there looking for a doctor who, though we don't want to look at negative things or know about negative things, sometimes we have to talk about them, right? We have to talk about negative things. And, you know, the same thing is true with uh, our spiritual lives. We don't want to sit around thinking about the, the what ifs we don't want to sit around thinking about the terrible things of life, but we need to think about them enough to be able to recognize them, right? I think that's what Solomon's talking about here. There are spiritual diseases in the world, and how do we know it's a spiritual disease if we don't, are not able to recognize it as a spiritual disease? When we go back and we look in Acts chapter 19, and Paul meets the, the the disciples, the seven men who had had been baptized under John's baptism, he asked them, he said, Have you received the, the Holy Spirit since you believed? And they said, We don't even know if there is a Holy Spirit. They couldn't even recognize something that was good. Why? He said, Well, what baptism were you baptized? He said, John's. Well, John's baptism wasn't in effect at that time. Those men had done wrong, not because they wanted to do wrong, but because they couldn't recognize good and bad, right? For what it was, John's baptism was good. But when Christ died on the cross, He came up out of the grave, He instituted the one baptism of Ephesians chapter 4. There's one body, there's one baptism, there's one faith, one Father, one Spirit. And so they just didn't know, they couldn't identify anything. So we don't like talking about things that are not exactly what we would like them to be, but we have to be able to know what they are. We have to be able to identify them, right? And so I think that's what Solomon is talking about here. I think he's teaching us how to lead a a wise and a godly life and be able to recognize when that's happening and recognize when we're leading a foolish and an ungodly life. We have to be able to see it, right? You have to be able to see the good and see the bad. And I think part of biblical instruction is identifying negative We have to be able to look at it in our lives. Hopefully other people will be able to look at it. If if I'm not noticing it, they can notice it. And they can let me know, right? We need to be able to see where we are. That's why when David talked about a light where I am, it's a light under my path. Talking about the Word, it tells us where we are in relation to God and it tells us in what direction we ought to go. So we have to look at the negative sometime. With that in mind, I want us to listen to the instruction of King Solomon this morning as he teaches us how to recognize the differences between good and bad and what to do when we discover it. And first, Solomon gives us a description of that which is bad. He described a corrupt individual. Now, the sad thing is we're going to see bad in individuals, aren't we? We don't want to see the bad in individuals, but... That's where bad normally lies, either in the individual or something that the individual has done. Now, the King James Version uses the word naughty. The the New King James has employed the word worthless. Now, this word naughty and worthless, both of them are translated from the Hebrew word where we get the name Belial. Now, we will recognize that name because that name means without profit, Means worthlessness, by extension it means destruction, it means wickedness, all, uh, often in connection with this belial, okay, uh, worthlessness, sinfulness. And so that's what he's talking about here. God considers the characteristics described in Proverbs chapter 6 as worthless, as evil, as naughty, right? When we think of the word naughty, we think more of a kind of a comical, mischievous thing, right? Well, that's why the New King James uses the word worthless, because that's what naughty intended way back, right? And so let's notice and look at it and think of it as worthless. Now, the man described is perverse, he is corrupt. That means he's turned away from God, right? We need to, I need to be able to recognize that in myself. If I turn away from God, I need to be able to recognize that because we don't go from being faithful to God to all of a sudden, we're unfaithful to God. It's a process. And I need to guard against that. I need to watch myself, right? I need to watch those that I love. They need to watch me. If they love me, we need to keep an eye on each other. And we need to make sure and ensure that we're going to get to heaven as much as we are able. Now, this person who is in opposition to God... He is in opposition to godliness. And Solomon said that he had a froward mouth. That means he is perverse in his speaking. That means that uh, he tells all sorts of lies and he likes to stir up turmoil. And, and that's bad, right? We, need, we don't like to think about that. We don't like to think. Sometimes in our own families, we have people who might fit that description, right? We don't like to think about that, but we need to recognize it. We need to be able to see it for what it is. He's a man that does a lot of speaking on his own behalf, right? And he may wrongly accuse someone, and he may actually come to another individual and begin to talk about someone, and and the person that's receiving the information, they don't know the circumstances. They don't know his circumstances or her circumstances or the one about whom they are speaking. Now Solomon described him in conjunction with the slothful earlier in the chapter. So what that gives us idea of is this individual just doesn't have anything better to do than to speak evil of other people. Now Paul addressed that in the New Testament. In his letter to Timothy, 1 Timothy 5:13, he described those kinds of people as wandering about from house to house And not only idle, he said, but they're tattlers also and busybodies, speaking things which they ought not. So when we look at that idea, that tells us a whole lot more. He's not only talking about if it's not true. He's talking about, well, maybe you shouldn't be talking about it even if it is true. Maybe that's not helping that individual or anyone else, right? Maybe we ought to go talk to that individual and see how... I can help them or we can help them in some way. But in his warning, Solomon moved in Proverbs chapter 6 from giving this description, uh, talking about this corrupt individual, to talking about exactly how cunning he was. He was cunning. He was smart. He's a man, he says, who winks with his eyes, he shuffles his feet, and he points with his fingers. Now those are all... Gestures of malice, and they are used to cause pain with the intent to do wrong. When I read this, I think about individuals. Have you ever watched someone who, who would be speaking to an individual, then he'll look over at someone else and wink, indicating that what he's telling this person is not true? or You know, now that can be done in, in fun. That can be done in fun but the person who doesn't do it in fun is someone who's doing it to try to harm another, right? The Bible doesn't tell us we can't have fun with each other. You know, it would be an awful dreary place if if, you know, I had to treat Bobby good all the time, right? But all that's done in fun, right? But someone who is deliberately being deceptive and you know, and they'll say something to someone and wink at their friend understanding. We've got him now. You know, that's deceptive. And the person who does that to another's destruction is sinful. That's not right. We need to be able to recognize it. We need to recognize between good fun and when we aren't behaving properly. Now, this person will elevate himself by harming other people. And we see that. That's displayed. We can go all the way back to the garden, right? When I can almost see Satan speaking with Eve and telling her, uh, asking her, hasn't God said you can eat from every tree? And then I can almost see as if someone were standing there and him winking, knowing exactly what God said. But he tricked her into that, right? And he continued that tactic. He didn't stop in the garden. He went all the way down to the time of Christ, and, and he's even doing it today still. What about Judas? He convinced Judas to elevate himself at the harm of the Christ. You recall at the last Passover supper, Judas said, I've got to go. Everybody thought he he meant he needed to go make some preparation. The Lord knew exactly what he meant. It's almost as if he's winking at someone. I've got to go. I'll see you men later. And he's winking, understanding. He's going to make a deal. He's going to go try to elevate himself at the harm of not just Christ, but everybody, right? Especially the Christ. Jesus. And that's John 13, beginning verse 25. He went to plot. Now this wicked man that's described for us in Proverbs 6 is the same person Judas became. This isn't a particular individual. But it's who we can become if we are not careful. There are people who continue to fall for those same promises, right? Someone says... You can do this or you can do that. it'll bring you great prominence. boy, people will think a lot of you when in reality, they're, they're thinking highly of someone who you're not really. And we shouldn't be shocked at that, that people even in the church or those who, who we believe would be religiously minded would do things like that. After all, Satan himself, 2 Corinthians 11:14, transforms himself into an angel of light. He's a con artist. And that's kind of what this person in Proverbs chapter 6 is. And we need to be able to distinguish between the good and the bad and recognize it. And we have to address the negatives in this life, right? So we can uh, uh, recognize those things. Again, that doesn't mean that we sit around constantly thinking about the negative, but when it shows up, we ought to be able to see it, right? We ought to be able to recognize it. But that isn't enough. It's not enough to be able to recognize the descriptions which Solomon spoke. We also need to be aware of the devices that are employed. That's our second point. Solomon talked about the description. Now he's going to talk a little bit about the devices used to carry out these characteristics. Solomon described one of these devices as the heart. The the biblical heart isn't a blood pump, it's the mind, isn't it? And after all, deceit and planning to do evil begins in the biblical heart or begins in the mind. Solomon said a person who chooses bad over good devises mischief. It means he looks to discredit someone. What if someone catches on a little bit and they may bring something to that individual's attention and they devise mischief to discredit that person who has Rebuke them. They want themselves to look good and they'll use deceit and ungodliness. It happens all around us. We see it. We're, we're not happy with it. We don't want to be involved in it, but we need to recognize it, right? We need to be able to see it for what it is. And discord is sown in that manner. Discord among, uh, our brethren or among any group of people, right? It might happen at work. We might have a, a fellow employee who is behaving in such a way, and they're using deceit and ungodliness. Have you ever heard someone come up to you and say, you know, I need to tell you something. I need to let you know about something. And then they begin to inform you about something that you need to know. Look, that ought to be a red flag for us. I can recall one time I was at a congregation and had just gotten there, and the former preacher, and this is a Christian, called me up and he said, I need you to go on a visit with me. And I said, well, I'm busy. I can't go today. And he said, well, I need to tell you some things you need to know. Well, see, he was there before I was, and it wasn't an uh, an amicable uh, separation. And so he wanted to inform me, I'm sure, of how badly he was mistreated. I was never mistreated there. I was always treated well. And so I told this particular individual, I said, I'll tell you what. I'll find out on my own anything I need to find out, and I don't need to hear it from you. But see, you need to be able to recognize when someone is doing that, right? We need to be able to recognize that scenario. I didn't continue to talk with that individual about it, and as far as I know, it was never mentioned again. But see, we need to be able to recognize it so we can avoid it. You know, would it have been good if I had engaged in a conversation with this individual, and And, you know, might have made him feel good about himself, but I would have been helping him to do wrong. See, you can't do that. You know, when that happens, we ought to ask a few questions. We ought to say, and I didn't do this. And, and, you know, I look back on it, and I should have. I should have said, have you talked to that individual? Evidently, there's some kind of a personal problem there that ought to remain personal. Wasn't that something was done in a public manner? I should have said, if you talk to that person, uh, you know, and, and if the conversation does continue, we ought to ask ourselves: Does my opinion of that person has it been enhanced or has it been made worse? Have my dealings with that individual ever insinuated to me that that this person would do something like that? But now because I've heard this, maybe I'm thinking a little less of that individual. I need to think about that, right? I need to. To consider those things, you know, and if we can't answer those questions, that person might need to be rebuked, right? We might need to say something to that individual. That's what Paul did, Galatians 2 verse 11. He rebuked Peter to his face because he said he was to be blamed. And you know what happened after that? That settled the matter, didn't it? We read about Peter going on to greater things. We read about Paul going on to greater things. Both of those men died faithfully in the Lord, giving themselves as martyrs for Christ. Now, that could have turned into a whole lot of something else, couldn't it? Solomon called that device a lying tongue. He said it was a proud look. Now, we need to understand that. See, God indicates that those who incorporate those types of things are arrogant. They're telling lies and they're so arrogant that they think they can get away with their sins. Now, they might get away with it with people. They may, in fact, convince some people to believe the things that they're trying to tell them. But God knows the truth. He knows who spoke the lie. He knows who helped to encourage it. And He knows who stood up against it or who didn't engage, right? We don't always have to answer someone. We don't always have to go into a debate with someone. But we need to always recognize a situation that is not beneficial for God or for people who are Christians. And that way we can avoid it, right? Christians must study the negative to be able to identify it. Satan's devices originate in the heart, but he goes on to to talk about how they're carried out or employed by the hands, right? Our passage in Proverb here uses what is known as the X and the X plus one format. It's not an exhaustive list of traits. And in our example, the X is these six things God hates, and the plus one is, yea, seven. Now what that tells us is, again, it's not an exhaustive list, but all of those six can be seen in the seven, right? There could be twenty on the list, seen in the twenty-first one, right? But God picks out these particular things. Now, this is a form of Hebrew poetry known as rhetorical parallelism. And we can see it in the seventh. Hands that shed innocent blood, feet uh, swift in running to mischief, all those others, they can be seen in that last one, sowing discord. You recall a, a few years ago, there was a lion in Africa. And he was kind of a celebrity line. And in Africa, part of their way of of making money for the nation is they allow people to pay them large sums of money and they can go on trophy hunts. I'm not a fan of trophy hunts, but, uh, you know, I'm not the, the cop of the world. Uh, I used to enjoy hunting, and that's someone's business. If it's done legally, that's their business. But if you recall, we had all these celebrities come out, all of these politicians, all, all people from all over the world, they came out and they lifted up their voice in outrage for this recreational trophy hunting of this celebrity type line. Now that very well may have been the appropriate response. I wouldn't go do it myself. But here is the thing. Here's the problem. When we see this in this X plus X plus one, we see all of this in the one, right? We see... Uh, hands or feet going swiftly to do mischief. We see a lying tongue. We see a proud look. We see shedding innocent blood. All that can be seen in this sowing of discord. Because if you do any of that, it sows discord, right, among whoever it's happening to. And the problem is backwards thinking, right? We want to do these things and these things and these things, and and God doesn't want us to do that. But we see the problem with this... This example of this lion in Africa, that may have been the very exact appropriate response, but those exact same people who threw such a fit over this lion, just an animal, and I'm not for abusing animals, but it is just an animal, they sit and sat and continue to sit by idly, without voice, at all the babies that are murdered in this country. Well over 60 million since 1973 through the practice of abortion. Now, they're going to raise Cain. They're going to be upset, and rightly so, probably, about this line. But what about all these babies? Isn't that backwards thinking? Isn't, that, isn't there something fundamentally wrong about that? Somewhere along the line, didn't God's creation get off track a little bit? Didn't we begin to do some things that... That at one time the world recognized as wrong, but now it's all muddied and it's it, it's a blur. And now if if you feel good, just do it. It's up to you as long as you're not bothering anyone else. Well, see that's that's never the case, is it? Instead of condemning sin for what it is, we can look to Hollywood and we can look to celebrities, and uh, they'll never condemn the killing of an unborn child. That ought to be the safest place anyone could be. You know, we even have laws now in certain states of our nation where if you have a disease, you're uncomfortable, you're suffering in some way, you can kill yourself with the assistance of a doctor. No one wants to suffer in this life, but do you know what God holds most precious in this world? In this physical world. Human life. Human life. Hands that shed innocent blood. Proverbs chapter 6. He does not consider that disposable. God teaches us to recognize the differences between good and bad. And we need to look out and we need to look at that and say, you know, that's just not right. It didn't used to be right, but now everybody says it's okay and that ought to be a red flag. He teaches us to recognize those things. He talks about conceit, haughty looks, lying, perverting the truth. He talks about the murder of the innocent, a wicked heart that devises evil plans, a person that is in, ingenious in coming up with something new and more perverted all of the time, a lying false witness, one who instigates strife within the fellowship. You can see all of that in that last one. If you murder someone, you're sowing discord. Right? If you lie about someone, you're sowing discord. If you do any of those things, you're sowing discord so what's applicable message here don't so miscord amongst the brethren don't tear up the fellowship i mean particularly that's the immediate context But let's not do it with our fellow man either right let's behave in such a way that they can recognize good from bad they see a christian and they say you know something's different about that person i am seen a difference between them and the rest of the world and that's how we get our eyesight back where it ought to be Solomon gave a description of the bad. He talked about the devices. But then he ends with this thought, and this is our third and final point. He described the destruction that follows when we choose bad over good. Now, there is a present destruction or a destruction that can be seen in the present, right? Uh, Solomon said this, Proverbs 6, verse 15. Therefore his calamity shall come suddenly. Suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. When we hurt people, when we do bad things to people, when we do not treat our fellow person as we ought to, do we lose that friendship? Well, normally. Normally we do. That doesn't mean it can't be repaired. But that's a present destruction, isn't it? Some people, it's almost as if they can't help themselves. They'll do things. I've known people like that. And in his third letter, John described an individual like that. He described this man, Diotrephes, and how he was going to deal with him because of his mistreatment of the brethren, 3 John chapter, uh, verse 10. And he said, I'm going to deal with him. I'm going to bring to his remembrance. That was a present destruction for Diotrephes, wasn't it? It's just like Paul telling. Corinth, he said, I can come with the rod of an apostle if I need to. He said, but I don't want to do that. I don't want to do that. That can be a present destruction. We can suffer from a loss of fellowship. We can suffer from uh, hurting those that we love. But there's not just a present destruction. There's something that can be even worse. And there is a planned destruction for those who do not repent. See... This isn't an exhaustive list. Solomon's talking about ungodly actions and characteristics and the list goes on and on. And those who do not repent, suddenly he shall be broken without remedy. There's, you can see that in the present, but we certainly are going to identify it on the last day. There is a planned destruction. John recorded for us in the Revelation, Revelation 22 beginning with 14. He said, Blessed are they that do His commandments, that they may have right to the tree of life, and may enter in through the gates into the city. For without are dogs, and sorcerers, and whoremongers, and murderers, and idolaters, and whosoever loveth and maketh a lie. John makes Solomon's point, doesn't he? We see the things on the inside that are good. The things on the outside are bad. Now, what is my responsibility? To be able to identify and make a distinction between the good... And the bad. We don't want to be on the outside. We want to enter into the glory of heaven and we want to live a righteous and a godly life because we do not want to spend eternity with people who are described as dogs, sorcerers, whoremongers, murderers, idolaters, and whoever loveth and maketh alive. We don't want to be around people in the physical like that. We certainly don't want to spend eternity surrounded by the worst of the worst and no way out. No way out. We need to be able to distinguish between the two. God does not want us to avoid at all costs the negative in this life. He wants us to understand what the negative is. He doesn't want us to wallow in the negative. He doesn't want us to constantly think about the negative. He doesn't want, just in our physical lives, He doesn't want us to sit around thinking about all the what-ifs of our physical health. What if I get cancer? What if I get diabetes? What if I have a stroke? What if something happens and I'm not able to talk? Or what if I lose my eyesight? Or what if I do... You know, you sit around and you think about all the bad things that might happen and you don't live anymore, right? All of a sudden you're doing nothing but being in misery. See, he doesn't want us to think about that in the spiritual realm either. That's why John said, you can know that you know you're saved. Let's distinguish between the good and the bad and let's live our lives in a godly and a righteous manner to the glory of God and we'll be happy for it. We can bring happiness to other people. Let's not deal, on the, deal in the what-ifs all the time. I think that's one of the purposes of this passage recorded for us in the Proverbs. We don't want to sit around doing that. So how can we make this proper application to our lives from reading this Old Testament passage? I think we have to be personally responsible. I think we have to diligently be working all the time to make sure we're walking in the light. 1 John chapter 1. If We walk in the light. We're having fellowship with God. We're having fellowship with faithful Christians. And the blood of Christ is continuously cleansing us from sin. Why? Because the faithful recognizes sin, knows the difference between good and bad. And when we do something bad... We get rid of that in our lives. Do Christians ever slip up and make mistakes? Yes, because we're people. We make mistakes. But what's the difference between a Christian and a sinner? The Christian doesn't want to make the mistake. The Christian wants to take care of the mistake. The Christian wants to get to heaven. The sinner doesn't care. The Christian wants to do right. So when we recognize There's a sin in our lives. We take care of it. And we are diligently making sure we do not fall into that again. And also, what's another application? We need to be open to uh, someone rebuking us in a Christian way, right? We need to be open to correction and guidance because we're going to answer. We're going to stand before God one day and we're going to give an answer. Romans 14, verse 12. And the person who loves us Helps offer correction. Think about our own children, right? We offer correction for our children. Why? Because we enjoy tormenting them. No. Because we love them. We want them to do right. We want them to do well in this world, right? So we're going to correct them when necessary. Well, we want them to get to heaven. So we're going to correct them. And we ought to love each other enough. What else can we do to make some kind of application? Let's pray for those people. Let's pray for ourselves. Let's pray for them that they can come to the understanding of good and bad. That they'll see the good, they'll want that in their lives, they want to get rid of the bad, let's pray for them. Maybe more importantly, Acts 3.19, when we detect it in our own lives, let's repent of that. Let's get rid of that in our lives. Christians have to do that. And we don't have to be baptized every time we make a mistake in this life. There's what we know as the second law of pardon. 1 Corinthians 1. Or, excuse me, First John 1 again. When we see the sin, we, we confess the sin, we ask God to forgive us. That means we're continually walking in the light. We're not stepping outside the light. We step outside the light when we leave God. When we understand we're sinning and we just maintain it. See, we make that correction in our lives. That's maybe the most important thing. But we have to get to the position to be able to do that. Right? We have to obey the gospel. We have to... Repent of the past sins in our lives. That's what uh, Jesus was talking about when He made that statement in Mark 16, 16. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. You know, you're saved from sin. But that's an immediate right now, right? All the past sins are gone. That's what uh Peter was talking about in Acts two thirty eight. Repent and be baptized. That takes care of the past sins. Okay? So... Once we obey the gospel, we have to maintain that, and when we sin, we get rid of that. But we have to repent of past sins. We have to confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the Living God, Romans 10, 9 and 10. We have to be immersed in water for the forgiveness of sins, Acts 22:16, because it is that act that puts us into the body of Christ, Galatians 3:26 and 27. And that's the same act that saves us, First Peter 3:21. That's not more important, but it is just important. It is the final act that culminates in salvation. And then we continue to maintain our salvation. Here's the final thing we're going to look at for this application. Judge the spirits, right? John commanded, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets are gone out into the world. Let's recognize the difference between good and evil. Let's just not accept it. Let's do our due diligence. Let's not believe everything we're told, whether that means from an organization that claims to be Christ's church. Let's make someone, if if they're having a Bible study with us, let them show us where it says it in the Bible what they're teaching, right? That's what we strive to do here. We want to show and demonstrate everything we say in the Bible. And if we can't do that, I'll be the first one to tell you, don't listen to it. Don't listen to it. But we need to be able to discern bad from good if you stand in need of the lord's invitation this hour if you've had some difficulty with that or if you know the difference and you you've gone off you've gotten off track a little bit after having obeyed the gospel come back to the lord today he'll forgive you repent and confess if you're not a christian obey the gospel today like we talked about let that be known as we stand and as we sing